everyone. Welcome to Backstory Sessions. I'm your host, Matt. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome you to this episode of Backstory Sessions. I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt. Hey, Matt. Hey, Kat. Hey, everyone. How are you? Well, this is an exciting episode we've got tonight, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Should be uh, pretty good. Uh, James Duvall, have you been a fan? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I remember him from uh, Independence Day and Gone in 60 Seconds and a couple others. But yeah, he was, uh, you know, he's pretty good. Yeah, and uh, Independence Day is a, a classic film, wouldn't you say? Like, I would say most people have seen that. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it, you know, I don't think I've ever met anyone who has not. No, because, um, you know, it's like that thing about if you meet someone that hasn't seen that, like, don't trust them or something, you know. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Well, and if you haven't seen it and want to be trusted, they can watch it because Independence Day is coming up. Right, yeah, and it should be on, I think. Uh, You know, know, somebody will probably air it. You know, they might even air it. You know, they have these downtown, um, you know, movie nights and things like that. So uh, you might could catch it that way as well. And or if not, you can just go on Amazon, whatever, and Hulu or whatever, and find it there. I'm sure. Yes, because we would highly recommend it, right? Yeah, of course. And uh, any other movie that James does. I feel like, um, well, I want to say hi to um, some listeners because, you know, it's become the thing that we, I choose a, a country um, or yeah. place. Yeah, so um, as of, I think, yesterday, we are in like 45 countries. So which one did you choose? Uh, actually, I'm going to say... Konnichiwa to my Japanese friends. Hello. Hmm. I don't know if we are in Japan, but I'll have to look. Yes, yes we are. <laughs> um, actually, I have a classmate there um, who, who listens. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I, I don't remember um, seeing it on the list, but it could be, so. Yes, uh, well, they, they may have missed, you know, like an episode or so here or there, but... Um, but at least we have been in Japan. And, uh, you know, I hope that I'll say hi to Hiro, Hirohito Saito. Um, that's my classmate. And um, I hope that I did you proud by saying, you know, hello. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but one thing I have to say uh, about uh, James Duvall, this new movie. Uh, that he has coming out, like he has a, a, a few of them. We're going to be talking about them, but I challenge her. I just want to say like a couple of things about that before 
we start the interview, um, you know, it's a person that like puts himself in a box and they agree to be buried underground, monitored supposedly for 24 hours. Right. Uh, and they, they put it on YouTube. Um, it's like a thing, um, I guess that happens in Russia and, uh, you know, some other countries started doing it and they were, um, getting all these views, like millions of views, um, cause people are fascinated with it. Right. So, uh, you know, we did a poll in our group to see, um, if anybody would actually do that and how much money it would take, um, uh, you know, um, not too many takers for that. Yeah, I don't think I'd. I don't think I'd want to do that. And if you looked at the poll, you'll see that like I would do it for free, but I think I clicked that erroneously. <laughs> so. Well, you were the only one, I believe, that um, that said they would do it for free. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I did it. I, you know. Um. Well. It's an interesting uh, premise for a movie, and you know what could actually go wrong. <laughs> yeah, what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, well, we'll find out. I'm sure that's a movie I, I definitely want to watch. So I uh, can't wait to hear just all the things that James is up to. Well, I think we should get to the episode and find out. All right, James Duvall, here we come. James, we are so excited to have you as our guest today on Backstory Sessions, so I want to welcome you. Well, thank you, Kat. Thank you, Matt. Um, I'm very honored to be here, honestly. Thank you. Um, so, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you grew up in where, Michigan, is that right? Um, I was born in Michigan, and then I moved to Tucson when I was very young, and then to Los Angeles, and I still have family in Michigan, so up until the early 80s, you know, I would go visit them, you know, occasionally, and then I was kind of just, I think, through the entire 80s, and then on, I was pretty much here in Los Angeles. So, um, what was it like, or, or do you have memories of, like, from Michigan to Arizona, you know, what was the different dynamics there of living in each? Probably at two, you might not have too many memories. Yeah, yeah, not much from Arizona, but because I went back to Michigan, you know, on back and forth, you know. Um, nine was the last time I spent some substantial time there with my family. Um, but it was, you know, and especially in the 80s, it was, you know, and they moved out of Detroit. So even though I was born in Detroit, when I came back to visit them at that point, they lived in a place called Harrison, which is in the middle of Michigan, believe it or not, really like kind of smack dab in the middle of the state, wow. um, which is, well, you know, it was, so coming from Los Angeles in the eight seventies and eighties, the air quality here was horrible. So I remember going to Michigan and, you know, <laughs> last night at nine and sort of, why do my lungs hurt? And they were just like, oh, that's because the air is clean here. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. And, you know, you spend three, four months there and then I come back to LA. I'm like, ow, why do my lungs hurt here? Oh, yeah, that's, that's poison. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. That's, so that was one big difference. I think, you know, it's also, you know, 
I, I, there was something very much I loved about being in nature. Like all my cousins, you know, lived in the forest, so they fished and bow hunted and did all that stuff normally. Like it's just what you did there, and that was so foreign to someone who's living in Los Angeles. Like <laughs> I don't go fishing. I just go to the store. <laughs> <laughs> well, so um, when did you? first exhibit like a talent in acting i mean did you recognize it at a young age um i don't know yeah i mean i always wanted i always had a thing about performing since i was very young um and i you know i was a classically trained piano player you know from about like nine to 12 years old i used to do recitals and whatnot um because my best friend's mother was a piano teacher and they lived three doors down from me so i used to play piano with them all the time and then my mother and father at the time bought a piano and then I have just, just so I had one in the house. And so it was a natural thing to have people come over and play music to them or do recitals and play. And so I remember being in dinner theater, or not dinner theater, but a dinner, supper dinner theater show for The King and I when I was in junior high. And that's when it just really kind of grabbed me. And I remember I turned to my father and said, you know, this is something I want to do. And he's like, all right, well, you know, you have plenty of time to think about what you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did, I joined this drama class and did this play in junior high that we performed for the entire school and spent three, four months doing it. And I had a really good time doing that. And it did seem like it was natural in the sense that I remember when I auditioned for the play, as opposed to everybody else, part of the reason I got the play is because I just understood that since you're on stage, you need to be able to project, you know, to, to speak your voice. Uh, so people could be, he- you could be heard in the last row. And I knew that. And so I kind of just, just by speaking loudly, I think I got the part. And then I got this thing about memorizing the lines and rehearsing. I really loved doing that stuff. So after I did the play, you know, I felt, again, you know, I was quite taken by acting. But then when I got into high school, I, the drama club turned me off a little bit. You, like, freshmen weren't even allowed to perform in their first year. Oh, wow. So I thought, yeah, so I thought, oh, I'm just not going to have anything to do with this. And then I remember, I think it was her name's Maria. And she came in when we were juniors in high school. And she was just sort of like uh Oh, I got, I just did this extra job and they're looking for people. And if you can get a work permit, then you can come do extra work too. And so I thought, well, here it is. Here's my chance to, to check it out. And so I got, my dad got me a work permit and I went down and I started doing extra work. And I think the third movie I did, the third job I did was cry baby for John Waters. Hmm. And even though they had filmed that in Baltimore, they were doing a reshoot of the chicken, chicken fight race scene and Simi Valley out here in Los Angeles and they needed a couple hundred extras so I went down and did that and it was funny because I remember talking about that with John Waters years later because he I didn't I had done this movie called Nowhere you know maybe I think between that time so it was 1989 when I was doing the extra work and I did Nowhere in 95 so I was speaking to John Waters almost 10 years later and we were at this uh kind of k-rock um love line thing and i remember i brought up you know they're asking you know about my beginning of my career and i was out told him one of my first jobs was actually with john waters but he wouldn't know me because i was just an extra <laughs> <laughs> barely legal <laughs> i think on his, i think on that movie i wasn't the guy was under, i was under 18 for that well it's interesting you say that because you know i noticed like you've had a lot of um people in the news that you've worked with um like will smith and donny depp very recently <laughs> um you know so do you does it seem like kind of surreal when you see 
them in the news, like the way they've been and think, oh, I worked with them. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I haven't worked with Johnny Depp yet. I almost worked with Johnny oh, on okay. a movie. It ended up the, the financiers are... He was he was gonna do a movie. He was gonna do a little piece for us on this uh, film I'm working on now, actually. Um, and the financiers and the producers and the agents and everyone just screwed the whole deal up. Oh. Yeah, but you know, I, it's it's not just been them. You know, it was said a couple years ago, and you know, I'm not a political guy at all. You know, but it was weird to see these people popping up in the news and, and jumping on sides. You know, like Randy Quaid's another one. He had mm. to leave the country. And he played yeah. the father, and that just wasn't my experiences with the, him or with with Will or, you know, I I found them to be very very actually really gracious like, kind people, you know, it, that just wasn't my experience. So it, it, it's it's really quite shocking, you know. But it's it's just I think that we live in this society where you know we always kind of have, you know. So I know so we were talking about how I started off acting. The idea as an actor was to not let things, because if social media didn't exist yet, but the press right. did, and promoting yourself and that sort of like selling yourself. And, you know, when I, after Independence Day, which came quite early on, I, I just found it very quite distasteful for myself. You know, I don't think, I, if people want to do that, I understand how the business works, but I just, I just wasn't even raised that way. You know, being an actor was more about being anonymous and can it hold me back at certain times because I'm not as famous as maybe I can be or should be or pushing for that but i was never looking for that you know which is why it's so honestly so flattering and i'm so grateful to be talking to you to anybody who responds to my work because i think you know that's where i find it more more interesting conversation you know about the work and less i, I find it hard to talk about my, <laughs> you know just because it's like again the whole idea of you starting off and being a young actor and not wanting to get caught up in the things that could deter me from a lifelong career you know and i i think you know i'm if i'm grateful for anything it's that i'm still making movies 30 years later and i don't have trouble sleeping at night and i haven't done anything to hurt anybody that i know of you know certainly not intentionally and and, and to have that kind of you know history is something i'm you know i am really proud of and it's because i kind of just focus on the work you know i want to play different characters and challenge myself i do movies that i like i do movies that i don't like but I always find something in the work that I love, you know, and I think that if anything I've learned over all the years, it was like committing yourself to what you're doing. And that I, as an actor, I don't have control of how well the films come out. I only have control of what I can do on the set. And since it's such a collaborative effort between other actors and the filmmaker and the camera and the wardrobe and the sound, you know what I mean? And the editing and special effects, if there's that involved. So you have all these different sort of things that have to come together. So the only thing that I can do is the best at when I'm on set, when I'm there, and not attach myself to if people love it or hate it, because that's out of my control, you know, really. So if they, but if they do love it, it's almost like a sigh of relief. <laughs> Ooh, I think I can go <laughs> on and do another one. <laughs> you know, and if they don't like it, well, that's okay too, because kind of growing up, you know, I did have, I, I had a difficult time growing up being multiracial, you know, in a time when it was. 70s and going into the 80s was a very very conservative time and uh or we went from like the liberal 70s into the very conservative 80s and so it was a very difficult time for me back then and i remember having to learn to find what was important at a young age when you know, i wasn't really getting help like that from the outside world mm. right 
in that sense. And, and so turning to acting really helped me find that, to be quite honest. Uh, well, I, I saw that, in, like your love of music, um, in a way that kind of led you to some acting opportunities, it seems. Um, it certainly did. I was playing in a band when I met Craig Araki doing my first movie, a band called the Glove Bunnies, and I just recently joined them, but I wasn't in it very long before I left to become an actor. <laughs> so and when you were in the band, what did you, what did you play or did you sing or what? No, this is a more of a, I would, I would have been one, of, it was like a Depeche Mode like band, so it would have been more of like a piano player, keyboard player. And so the funny thing is after that, you know, when I became an actor at 18 and I moved out of the house and I didn't have a piano, I didn't have access to those things, which were very expensive. I remember getting my first unemployment check and I, I spent it on a guitar <laughs> <laughs> so I can, because you can take it anywhere with you. You can play it in the house and not wake people up if it's acoustic, you know? So, and I still, so now I've been playing guitar for 30 years as well and bass guitar and, you know, so it, it, it was kind of like a nice shift for me. And I still, to this day, you know, music very heavily influences my, I think my acting. What kind of stuff do you like to play? Well, my, my taste has grown over the years. I was more of like an alternative right. new wave punk rock guy when I was younger, but I do have a massive, I think, uh, love for jazz and blues now as well. Oh, cool. So, um, did you go back to the piano ever, or? Oh yeah, I have a key. So in my room right now, I have a, a full key keyboard at least. So I do have a keyboard here, so I can play pretty much every day. And the same thing, I have three guitars and a bass guitar. It's all in my room. Wow. So I can literally <laughs> just get out of bed, and I don't really have to. You know, I just roll out, and I don't have to stand up. I can just reach to the side and grab an instrument and play if, if you know, inspiration strikes. Or just, you know, to be honest, it's become over the years a habitual thing. You know, kind of like as an actor, a good way to keep memorizing lines or learn to memorize lines, I think, quite easily is to keep that exercising that muscle. One way is to learn lyrics in a song. All the different, you know, and music because it has so many different changes in the music and in the lyrics. And another one is to just learn dialogue from movies I love, <laughs> hmm. and you know, and and I think that you know, in between doing stuff, that that really kind of keeps the muscle for me going. I always kind of had as kids, we were always, you know, saying lines from Breakfast Club or some John Hughes, right, <laughs> John Hughes yeah. movie because those were the movies that were out, you know. And as as an eighties kid, that was. The, such a heavy influence for all of us, I think. Sure. This was like the more punk rock movies. We really love like, you know, Penelope Spheres is the, it's called Suburbia. And they're building this track, which is now the 105 freeway that runs from LAX all the way out to Norwalk. Mm -hmm. And that was like a, a whole neighborhood at one time, up until the 70s and 80s when they started buying it out. And there was this kind of like in the early 80s when it was, you know, there's only a few people holding out. Most of it was abandoned houses. So this group of punk rockers used to go and squat there in the 80s. And it kind of kind of fictional story based on that, you know, fact. Mm. They made this cool little punk rock movie. So I love those little things like that that were super indie that came out too as well. So I'm loving Star Wars. <laughs> I'm loving, <laughs> you know, I'm loving the original Halloween and the fog 
Escape from New York, but at the same time, it's like all these really cool little punk rock indie movies coming out that I thought were he- like they were heavily influential for me as well. You know, I think growing up. So, are, are you saying that you like practice memorizing, you know, parts of movies like like all the different characters? I mean, do you do you say them in in your mind like that, um, like by character or? Oh, oh yeah. Like, well, I know one of my favorite filmmakers, he makes these movies that I don't think they're very commercial. So most people don't know, him, but he makes these brilliant movies. And his name's Christopher Munch. And his first movie, uh, well, not his, I shouldn't say his first, but his first kind of, I think, movie of notoriety was this sort of, not a short, not a feature called The Hours and Times. And it's about this weekend between Brian Epstein and John Lennon right before the, the right before the Beatles break big. <clears throat> And it's just, and it's kind of really an incredible account of and, and performances by the two actors. One who's Ian Hart, who went on to play John Lennon, you know, in Backbeat with Stephen Dorff, and 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 to this day, still a phenomenal actor. But I always, you know, so I still to this day I always love to go over their lines from that because there's a moment, you know, when Brian Epstein has this huge crush on John Lennon, and John Lennon doesn't want to talk about it, so he invites this stewardess over. But they just had this fight. <laughs> so <laughs> she comes over and he kicks John Epstein out. She comes over and he's got the towel on. He's like, I'm a man and I'm, you know, I'm not influenced by this kind of stuff, you know, or this kind of sexuality or whatever. And it's such a brilliant play because he's sitting there smoking a cigarette, but he won't look at her and he's just sitting in the towel. And she's like, Your friend, he looks awful morose. You torment him, don't you? And he's sitting there smoking a cigarette. It's like, Maybe we torment each other. She's like, Come on, tell me what it is. He takes another puff of the cigarette. He's like, I can't tell you. <laughs> she's like, Please. And then just with that, just a wave of the hand, he shuts her down with, Sorry. <laughs> just the subtleties of that, the accent, everything. I love everything about it. Hmm. Everything, you know, for me, that was genius filmmaking that genius acting and everything just again so those kinds of things i find quite inspiring and you know re kind of reenacting those things where it becomes as an actor when you learn your lines you don't really think about it, it becomes second nature and it's just it's that's kind of the fun of it you know same thing with playing picking up an instrument like oh i've played this song in here still got it <laughs> <laughs> So where do you find the um, the intensity um, for the characters when when you take on a role? Like, how does that work for you? Um, I, I, I do draw a lot on, you know, past, not necessarily experiences, but emotions that come from past experiences, if, if I need to. Um, what's been incredible for me over the years is instead of having one, you know, I think when I started off, I was very much like into the Stanislavski method. And then I learned the Meisner, you know, because I realized you didn't have to live through every moment. You know, it was kind of one of my favorite actors, you know, still, but growing up was Montgomery Clift. And they talked about he was so dedicated and so committed. He would just walk through the door over and over and just, hi, hello, how are you? And rehearse it 50, 100 different ways. And that's interesting, you know, but I don't think I need to do that to for everything, every scene that I'm doing for like every line. If I say hi, I don't know if I need to do that for everything. Yeah, who has you the know, time? <laughs> yeah, or you know, but what a commitment! Because at the same time, you know, when you watch someone like Sir Anthony Hopkins, who does rehearse his lines a hundred times, fifty times, a hundred times, it comes out so naturally. Mm. 
But what I found for me is there's a time for it and there's a time not, I don't need to do that with everything. It's just like, you wouldn't use the same formula for anything you use. You know, you would, you, you modify it over time. So the more I felt, the more techniques I had learned over the years, the more things I've learned from young beginning actors to old veterans. And you get like all these tools that you learn to use while as an actor and the more tools you have, which means the more you can do. So you're not stuck with using a screwdriver and wrench to break your car down. You know, now I've got a jack and I, you know, I've got these CO2 compressors and because that helps. I like put those through to help the jack, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's the idea is like you build this over, over, over time. You build this through body of work and experience and build these, uh, a bag of what I like to call my bag of tricks or my bag of tools, like Felix the cat's bag of tricks. Hmm. And I remember I need something. I just reach in there and grab it. And, you know, in, instead of when I think when I was younger, I needed a certain tool and I didn't even know what tool I needed. <laughs> so I think that, that over the years is that that's been the big benefit for me and, and, and why I love it so much. Um, it kind of comes down to a, a conversation I heard Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin have after Godzilla, believe it or not. So we had done Independence Day, and I'd done Independence Day with them, and it was – I was there pretty much from the time they wrote it up through filming it up to the whole press tour in Europe for three months and the aftermath and whatnot, all the way to the same thing with Godzilla. And even though I didn't work with them on Godzilla, I remember you know, I was celebrating the release of it and they were just so distraught because they got so torn apart from that movie, you know, and they got torn apart for the things that they thought were the reasons why they were going to do it. They were going to reinvent it. They were going to do it different. And they were, instead of slow, it was going to be fast. Instead of, you know, it was kind of like this wobbly, gobbly man in a lizard suit. This thing was going to be more, you know, lizard-like because they had the CGI now and, and it ended up kind of being Jurassic Park, you know, just for all these other reasons, it didn't quite work. Right. But what he said to what he said to Dean and I'm sitting there listening to this and he says and, and Dean was quite distraught and I was quite distraught for them as well, you know, and Roland took it and tried. And and this is a big learning lesson, I think big learning point, growing point really for me, in the sense that he said to Dean, he goes, Look, Dean, we did the best we could. We tried everything we could add we add we utilized everything we knew and we did the best we could and it failed. But you know what? We did everything we could. We don't profess to be geniuses. You know, next time we'll do better. So you can't always expect for it to, you don't have control of those things. But what you do have control is doing your best every time. And you grow as an artist. And then you, if you do that over, you know, decades and decades of time, you eventually become a craftsman. And that's when it hit me in the late 90s when he said that that's exactly the direction I've moved in. And I think I've been in, that's been my path since then to become an artist to become a craftsman so no matter what i do you know i always want to just pull everything out of me and do my best and um i think present work is included you know and i and i probably enjoy what i do more now than i ever have i think well i definitely think in a field like acting where you're going to for people are going to be critical of your performances always, um, you know, that, and also auditioning, you know, there's just, it's just always people's opinions or your rejection or acceptance. Uh, I think that's a really good um, piece of advice that 
that you follow um, because it makes things much easier if you only focus on what you can control, I imagine. Yeah, you know, there is a lot of critique and there is a lot of rejection. And because it is this business, people feel like, well, this is what you do. So you need to be able to take it, you know, so it can be pretty harsh at times. And similarly, I, I also found that when I could, when I was applying this philosophy, the fact that this philosophy and reality of that this philosophy could apply to thing in life is when I began to really, you know, to even more heartfelt and in my spirit believe in this. Because it, then I realized it's not just for me. This is a universal thing. You know, you just do all we can do is the best we can do. It doesn't matter what we're doing or who we are or where we're from or where we're at. You know, but if you do the best you can do, then at the end of the day, you can feel good about that. You can't control it, what other people do. But oh, we can if we control ourselves, which is difficult. <laughs> I think too, <laughs> but if we can control ourselves and we can, you know get to the other thing and go, oh, yeah, that was a good day because I did my best and I can't control other people's reactions to that. But I know that it was good intent. I had a good intention behind everything and I did the best I could. And that's all that I can do. And I'm, and the rest of it, I have to kind of surrender that I'm out of control of that. Um, and so what, so what if you um, took part of that, like I'm going to do my best, but then, you know, if it isn't well received, instead of saying, oh, you know, I'll, we'll do better next time or whatever. I mean, what if you adopt uh, well, it was the audience, you know, they just were too like, <laughs> I mean, they, <laughs> they just missed the point. <laughs> I mean, I've certainly felt that with some movies at least where I think the majority liked something that, or didn't like something that I thought was pretty quite incredible or a majority liked something that I thought really wasn't so brilliant. <laughs> You know, but I think, you know, that's just comes down to matter of opinion. And after this much time, you know, I, I can say there's certainly been things, a few things I think people like that just make me shudder. But I've done, <laughs> and there are a few things, and, and a few things I like that I think make other people shudder. <laughs> 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 you know, to some degree, I'm like, I'm probably not the best, you know, judge, you know, performances when it comes to myself. So in that sense, I don't, you know, it's not that I avoid watching my stuff, but I haven't, I haven't seen probably more and half of the things I've done because I just go in and like I said, do the best I can. And then I just try to move to the next job. And part of it is you have to let it go, which is a very odd thing, especially when you put your heart and soul into a character, but you really got to let it go and let that movie live its life. If it's going to have a life and if it doesn't, then that's okay. May it rest in peace. (laughs) (laughs) Has, Has there ever been a character you've played that, you would just like to, you know, uh, just be that character for the rest of your life? Hmm. Has there? I mean, there's been some characters I've certainly loved playing. Like, I know one of them, he's, he's a stuttering suicidal guy. He gets over the suicidal, and he's not such a bad stutterer anymore, but I don't know if I want his life. He's <laughs> <laughs> got a heart of gold, though. Uh, <laughs> this other guy who's a hitman, with a heart of gold. <laughs> I don't know if I want to kill people. <laughs> That's probably good. Uh, he, had, he had a great sense of humor, though. <laughs> yeah, you, because, you know, then you might be getting that fame that we were talking about earlier that you tried to avoid. You might be in the headlines. So. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily that I won't, you know, I think, I mean, there were certainly times that I think in my earlier career where I said no, and I was going to get paid a lot of money to be in a big movie a few times, big couple big studio films. And I said, no, 
not interested in that. I have a lot of money right now. I don't need to do that. And that really turned my agents off of like wanting to work with me, oh, <laughs> which in hindsight, not because of them, but I would do those jobs today, you know, because it's about working and working and working. And back then I was much pickier than I am now in that sense of, because I had a different philosophy, like I only do great stuff, you know, I only do good stuff. <laughs> uh, I <laughs> thought I could, I thought I could control that. And what ended up happening is I didn't work as much or, you know, if I would have still had that point of view, I probably wouldn't have done more than half the movies I've done working with some incredible people, finding that I did love some of the stuff way more than I thought I was and getting, learning to commit myself to all of it. And I think on, on that, it was all a win, win, win for me. You know, so I know that when things come my way now, it's like I feel like, you know, whether it's com any genre, comedy, musical, horror, romance, <laughs> sci-fi, sci-fi horror, sci-fi horror, drama, rom-com, <laughs> whatever it is, I'm ready. Hmm. You can do it. You'd be and like, I, have, I have that one memorized. <laughs> you know, would you like to hear it? <laughs> yes, I'm like, oh yeah, I've done that before. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it again, but better. <laughs> And sometimes, you know, I still get the things where like, wow, I haven't done this before. I wonder how this is going to turn out. You know, I have a few movies out like right now, you know, because I very much still like to do experimental stuff um, that I'm very, very proud of. One that just won the Film Threat Award for Best WTF Is This Movie Even of the Year, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm very proud of, I have to say. Because that sounds exactly like the movies I do. Not always, you know. I have done mainstream films, like I said. It, so I've done at this point. I think most genres of films that are out there, and I I have gotten a really big kick out of mo almost all of it. Is there? But yeah, I, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to ask. Is there any like? I mean, it sounds like you do a lot of different things. And is there anything that like? You know, if you had to choose like rom-coms or, you know, action movies or something, is there any genre that you would prefer over something else? Um, I don't, there used to be before. It's not that there's a genre, I think, at this point that I would pick over another one. But I can say like growing up being a huge Star Wars and Star Trek fan and now that they're back. Mm-hmm. Like I'd love to be on those. Yeah. <laughs> Why not both? I know some people have done both. I'm like, I want to do both of those. <laughs> but you know, I'll live. I'll live without being on either one as well. Yeah. You know? And I'll continue working as an actor. But that's something I would like to do. You know, I have to say, when I went and did an episode of Hawaii Five O, I really kind of fell in love with. Before I was kind of avoiding television, and I really love long form television as it is now. They're like thirteen hour movies each year instead of like a two hour movie you know right but um i like the idea of you know because i do so many indies you know and it's a struggle it's a struggle to to get scenes done right every day you know so there's it's something nice about walking on set and it not being a struggle for the camera or the crew is everybody as long as you know your material right and since you're walking on a set with a well-oiled machine who's five seasons in, they definitely know all their material, you know, whether it's wardrobe or camera or actors, and they all really get along well. It was like a well-oiled machine, but also a loving family. Yeah. It's not like, oh, was, oh, crap, the battery's died. <laughs> we gotta... Yeah, we're going to need 10 minutes, or this actor's not showing yeah. up, or this, you know, and you're like, My, I don't believe this. It's like, you know, you all work so hard for this and like so that's you know i think in this business more than anything and not just as an actor you know half the job is just showing up right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but you know, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very, you know, I think I couldn't be happier in a lot of ways. You know, I like three movies, you know, with tales from the other side just came out on Tuesday. I have a movie called I challenger, the stoner comedy where I bury myself underground for 24 hours and <laughs> doesn't quite go the way, and I live stream it. And let's just say it doesn't quite go the way I thought it was going to go. Huh. Uh, and I have this sort of sci-fi fantasy dark comedy called Without War that is Martin one of Martin Landau's last films that's out right now. Okay. And there's a band called Boy Harsher who did a new album called The Runner, which is based around a film, and they've wrote and filmed or shot, I should say. And I had the, uh, the pleasure of having a small part in that as well, which is available on Shutter. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm super lucky to be working. I think, you know, I'm I'm really grateful. So it's grateful how, to be talking to, again to be talking to both of you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, so, how, I mean, how did that, like, I mean, how did you manage through COVID? I mean, that certainly slowed things down. Oh, it certainly did. It did for everything shut down right yeah. before COVID. And I did a TV pilot in February. Everything shut down March 19th here, mm -hmm. everywhere pretty much. But uh, I had finished filming something in. February 23rd pilot and COVID really kind of destroyed that TV series as well. Cause that we had interest and with all these surges coming back and forth, it's right. we never could try to get it quite get it off the ground. Yeah. But uh, af after that, everything kind of went to a standstill as you know, and then by the summer, all the Indies were up and running again with the, even with the COVID protocol. So I went right, started just going right back to it. So what did really. you do for your, the, all that time off? I mean, it must have been a little foreign for you, no? Well, that's a, I'm glad, actually glad you asked that because that's a good question. Um, the truth of the matter is you have good years and bad years as an actor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what we call feast or famine. And so during the famine years, which I've gone through on and off over the past 30 years as an actor, I always go into what I call lockdown. <laughs> which is very, very ironic. Not coincidental, it's more ironic because it was, I never thought something like this would happen, but I would shut myself off. I'm like, look, I don't have money. I just have enough to pay my bills and get by. Right. Doesn't look like I have work on the horizon at the moment. So the only thing I can do is lockdown. I can't go out because that costs money. Right. I can't do anything. I just hang out with my dog, play music in my apartment, write, watch movies, rehearse stuff, and play music. Huh, and so I get this job and I've got this healthy state of mind. I've been working out for three months because I haven't been doing anything else. I've been making all my own meals, so controlling everything. So I'm in insane shape. So I'm ready to go. So within that process, what I learned that instead of getting ready for a character to go film, it was always better if I was somewhat prepared. Like, oh, we need you to train the weights for six weeks. It's like, no, I'm already there. Right. You know oh, I mean? yeah, yeah, It'd be yeah. more for me. It's like, okay, don't lift weights. It's like, okay, I don't have to lift weights. I can eat ice cream. <laughs> Much easier. I subscribe to that theory. <laughs> yeah, I'm all over this. They're going to pay you for it. <laughs> but, um, you know, so it's like I learned all these kind of different ways to keep myself sharp as an artist and sane as a person. Mm -hmm. So when this lockdown came, the initial 90 days, I was fine. I was fine because it was also like, okay, we can't work, can't do anything. Here's $1,200 every two weeks or whatever. And you're like, huh? Right. So I'm just going to sit. And before I wasn't, I was doing this because I didn't have money. Now I'm going to do this and I'm just going to collect money while it's going on. 
cool. <laughs> Which allowed me when I got out of it to kind of, you know, get back on my feet. Right. Um, so it really helped me quite a bit. Uh, that being said, so I worked through the summer and the fall. And then the, the Delta surge hit. Oh, shut right. everything down again. Yeah. And then I got it. No, no, I didn't get it. I got the Alpha variant. So I booked a job at the end of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. This is no, this is coincidental. I booked a job with James Cullen Bresek, the one of the producers and writers of the Tales of Halloween, whose father also wrote this piece. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't work. I, the day of filming, in fact, the entire month of December, I was sick for 30 days. I had COVID. I was positive for 30 days. Oh. I was sick for 30 days. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it was brutal. I got to say, there was a couple days where I was laid out in the bed and I was worried because I couldn't breathe. And I was sleeping on my stomach and they're just sort of like, if hospitals are overflowing, there's no room. And I'm like, well, oh, this is just wonderful. <laughs> <clears throat> so maybe ever since I've been sick and since 2020, not that I wasn't before, but I'm definitely a lot more thankful for every day that I have. I'm not going to lie. I was scared. I was scared for my life. Hmm. There was nothing anyone could do back in December 20. We didn't have vaccines. We didn't have any of these things, uh, treatments or, right. you know, whatnot. That being said, I'm, I haven't been sick since then. So knock on wood. Um, but I've been working a lot, you know, so after I recovered from that, I lost 20 pounds. Um, then I had like all these weird body, like ear infection and that uh, recovered. Then I got an eye infection and then that recovered. And then I got a tooth infection and then that recovered. So I was struggling with stuff for like three or four months after that, the entire time eating, working out, hiking every day with my pup or my dog. And then I got back in shape and pretty much after, I think by June 2021, when I was filming again, I was 99% back to where I was before I got sick. Um, and I've been fortunate to be work to continue pretty much working straight through, you know, except for every time we stopped. So we had the Delta strain and then the Omicron strain that kind of shut stuff down. Mm-hmm. The potential IOTSI strike, which with the cruise, the film cruise, which didn't happen, which pushed back a lot of productions because the ones that went on hold for the strike when they were ready to go back, got hit by the uh, Omicron surge, the right. first one in December. But that, even through those, you know, I got to say, I think I've done four movies this year so far. Wow. I got two more coming up. Yeah, two more coming. Well, one's a documentary, actually, on Kim Kahana, legendary stuntman, mm-hmm. legendary stuntman. Um, been around since John Wayne days. Wow. 93, still alive, runs the only stunt school in all of the United States in florida really really fascinating guy but um i've been very lucky you know i've like i said i think i did when i did the piece either or for tales from the other side last year i also did two other movies that same month (laughs) wow (laughs) so i basically yeah i i I will say it's one of the busiest i've ever been it was a lot of dialogue to learn in a short span of time yeah so i was pretty out of commission I think when I came out in September, I needed like two or three weeks to recover from, from that. <laughs> sounds like sounds like you're a bit of an overachiever in some ways. Well, you know, with I think with the pandemic, it was sort of like I just was going to take everything that was coming my way. I wasn't going to say no. I didn't know, and as you know, still to some degree, what is lies in the horizon or the future. Yeah. So I'm I'm literally filling, just doing everything that I possibly can. Mm. So, I 
I guess I find it all fascinating. Like it's 30 years. That's a long career. Um, and I, I read something about that. You used to go to Hollywood and buy records. Um, yeah, that's how I, I just, that's how I met Greg Araki and became an actor, really, quite honestly, a film actor, I should say. Well, and so that's just such a, you know, random way of uh, <laughs> doing, you know, going to buy records and then you meet someone and it like changes the whole course, I imagine, of your life in some ways. It, it, it does, you know, and I have to say, I mean, I don't mean to sound crazy, and I know a lot of people have this kind of fantasy or dream, but it was also the idea that I would be in Hollywood and someone would ask me if I wanted to be in their movie, and I pr- kind of put that out in the universe, and I'm not going to lie, it came back, and that's really kind of what happened. So as I was going to buy import records, I was living at the time in a place called the South Bay, Redondo Beach, Hermosa Beach, and then some cool old punk rock scenes, like the Circle Jerks came from there, and Mm-hmm. Um, some old early Dickies and some early punk rock bands. And so it had somewhat of like a punk rock and definitely an alternative scene there. And so I went from as, as a teenager, they're, you know, trying to buy import records and all these kind of rare musical finds and interesting music. I got sent to Hollywood. This is KK, you know, you're old enough to drive 16. You can drive out to Hollywood. And also a couple kids at one of the high schools I went to would drive out to Hollywood to buy their music. So when I started hearing it from them and I put the two together, I started going, you know, 16, 17. And I went strictly to just buy records. And then once I turned, you know, a sort of like towards not even 18, latter years of 17 after, you know, high school was over, just used to kind of go out there to go out at night and started hanging out at this cafe and make friends with the people that worked at the cafe. And, uh, oh, this, you know, this is the life. I'm going to move to Hollywood. Now. This is where I want to be. So I moved in with a friend of a friend and like got a couch, rented a couch from him and <laughs> started hanging out at this cafe and, you know, um, started going to acting. I started auditing some acting schools, believe it or not. And I got like two or three months in before the, and I was just switching courses. Cause oh, let me try this. Let me try this at the end. They're like, okay, you've done all these courses. You're going to sign up and pay. And I'm like, Oh, look at the time I got to go. <laughs> Can't be here. You know? <laughs> Mom's calling. <laughs> So that was it for acting school for at the time for me at that moment, that moment. But I did learn, you know, important things. I already knew about dialogue. So I learned about camera marks and whatnot and blocking, uh, stage blocking and camera blocking when I would audited those classes, at least a little bit. So when I had met Greg Araki, the filmmaker was at this cafe, I had just been at this point going around town looking for a job. Because I was like, sort of like, okay, I'm 18. I can't get pay for the acting school. So the only thing I can do is if I find a job, then I can pay for the acting class. And I can start doing what I want to do. And because I was friends with the guy at this, these guys that worked at this place called the Double Rainbow Cafe on Melrose, right by three of my favorite record shops at the time. Uh, hmm. <laughs> uh, I used to frequent there when I was looking for jobs. I would come in and have coffee and sit down. And I met this filmmaker who came to me one day when he just said, you have a very interesting look. I'm sorry to disturb you, but are you an actor? And I sort of looked at him and was like, yep. Because <laughs> like, I make these no-budget movies and, you know, um, I just think you'd be great for one of the characters. Can I send you the script? Would you be interested in auditioning? And I said, yeah, and he sent me the script and I auditioned for it and I got it. And that movie ended up playing at the Sundance Film Festival and I ended up making the Doom Generation with the same director. Nowhere, he, so he put me in 
all three of his teenage trilogy films at the time. Um, and that really, so that sort of really did solidify, I think for me that I was going to, I was going to be an actor and this is what I was going to pursue because after that first movie with Greg being 18 and nobody knew who I was and I wasn't related to anyone, I didn't have a SAG card. It was non-union. I took a job doing this traveling play to different schools for rehab, you know, which is a good way to keep exercising muscle, you know, four acts and about 45 minutes of performing without a break, really. Right. You know, and get, I got, I think I got paid like 50 bucks a show or whatever. So it was also a way to kind of live. <laughs> right. uh, so I was getting paid a little bit of money. I was doing it, you know, getting paid to do my craft at 19. So I thought that that was really, really, really cool. And then I just started also working all these other odd jobs, like sanding walls and working a cafe and doing landscaping, whatever I could to make money just so I could act. And it was, it was after Independence Day that, that kind of everything changed where I didn't have to do that. I, that got me out of, the, out of being a waiter. Yeah. So <laughs> how did Independence Day happen? Um, I'd like to say magic, you know, lightning strikes only strikes once, but it struck twice for me in the sense that I was a waiter. And I, at this point, I'd already done two movies with Greg Araki. I'd done Totally Upped Up in the Doom Generation. And, um, I was a waiter at this restaurant and in the Hollywood Hills, and I remember Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin came in. <clears throat> and they were big supporters of mine at the restaurant. Like, they had the poster for Totally Upped Up on the door, even though the movie wasn't out yet. It only played the film festival, uh, Sundance. And I remember Jackie, the owner, God bless her soul, I love her. She just came over and she was just like, Jimmy, I need you to come over here. <laughs> this is director. He's a big Hollywood director, okay? <laughs> I'm like, Jackie, look, I'm not here to smooth your customers, all right? I'm, I'm a waiter tonight, right now. So I'm here to be the best waiter you got. And I wasn't by far, but I tried my best. Like I said, with everything, and you always try your best. So I'm trying to do my best. <laughs> I remember walking over to the guys, and I was like, how you doing? These are the specials. And at one point, you know, Roland just kind of turns to me and looks at me. He's like, is that you? I'm the one. You, are you an actor? And I'm like, well, yeah. Can I take your order? <laughs> and he's like, no, because I really like that movie. I'm like, how did you see that? It has, it's not out yet. He's like, I saw it at Sundance. Mm. I always go to Sundance. I love that director's movies. I love indie movies. Um, you know, so you have anything else going on? I'm like, well, yeah. You know, and I think this is November 93. No, no, I'm sorry, November 94. November, December 94. I'm like, well, you know, in January, I have another movie with Greg Rocky called The Doom Generation coming out. And, you know, and, you know, it's going to be at Sundance. He's like, oh, great, Sundance. Maybe I'll see you there. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And I just didn't think much about it, you know, after that. And yeah. month, month passes by. Sundance comes in the end of January. I'm walking down to do the Q&A. And I don't know if you guys know Doom Generation, but if, especially for the time, it was a pretty crazy movie. So I remember watching it just going, wow, this movie is a lot crazier even than the script. <laughs> and I mean, I love it, but it was crazy. You know, definitely like anti-mainstream. Mm -hmm. And I'm walking down to do the Q&A at the Egyptian Theater and just Roland kind of taps me as I'm walking down. And he's sitting next to Rana, I think was her name, from Samuel Goldwyn. And he just looks at me, he's like, my God. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I mean, yes, you'll never work with me now. What am I doing in my <laughs> career? I'm like, and then as you're walking down, you, you take that, you know, you commit yourself. I'm being punk rock. <laughs> 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 
no no mistakes no apologies you know that's the kind of filmmaker greg was and that's kind of actor he kind of raised to a degree Hmm. um i mean but i don't mean disrespect anyone at the same time (laughs) yeah respect to all respect to all but you know it was it was it was was a really kind of now i tell you the story and think about it it makes me giddy it was it's an interesting time it was a magical time for me um because after Sundance, three weeks later, I didn't see them. I'm like, I definitely lost that job, whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> they come back, and they were like, oh, we were just in Mexico. We just wrote this script called Independence Day. In fact, Dean and I were talking, what are you doing this summer? You know, we got it greenlit. It's it's getting made. And Dean and I were speaking. Dean came up and said, we thought you'd actually be great for a part in it. I'm like, well, actually, I'm doing another movie with the same director of Doom and totally effed up called Nowhere. And it's going this summer, but maybe we can work it out. And they ended up calling me to audition once. Then they never called me in again. And then the movies were filming at the same time. And both Greg Araki and Roland Emmerich made the studio and made the producers of both their movies work it out so I could do both movies at the same time. Wow. So I shot one. I started off with Nowhere filming in L.A. for one week. I took my earrings out, changed my part, jumped on a plane, flew to Utah, shot a week there. <laughs> Put the earrings back in, changed my part, flew back to LA, got yelled out for having a weird tan mark. Go <laughs> 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 the desert for five days. Uh, and nowhere all, even though it was a five-week shoot, it all takes place in one day. <laughs> you know? So one, all of a sudden, I had this tan mark, so they had to cover me up, which ended up working, but you know just a funny story funny i think footnote but you know and then i ended up finishing i finished nowhere in la and i went to the utah one more time and oh no i finished utah and i came back to la and finished nowhere and then they came to the stages in la and i finished independence day and then that was sort of the first time i think for me where i was like wow you know i can do two movies two movies at one time i didn't think that was possible before yeah i think you were uh you know dividing your time and like you want to be in the moment for each one and you know i could see where yeah well i found i found it surprisingly simple believe it or not to go from set to set Hmm. because i was going from one movie that was made for 1.5 million to a movie that was being made in the 90s for 76 which is like 150 to double that today yeah yeah so one tiny set with like all these kids doing like an anti 90210 anti Melrose Place punk rock movie about kids <laughs> in LA doing all the wrong things. Hmm. And then I'm going to this huge studio movie out in the desert with five cameras because it gets bigger than this, you know what I mean? <laughs> Aliens and I mean it was incredible. The scope <laughs> is still to this day that because it was 95 when we filmed that there wasn't a lot of heavy CGI except for like people you know when the flames are going down the, the street and you see the people standing there with the cars oh yeah the cars are being tumbled yeah some of that see the flame cgi on a screen behind that but they had two dozen cars in a massive warehouse where they built the spruce goose lined up hanging from cranes that they would drop onto other cars while people ran <laughs> the entire area 51 base was life-size built inside of there it would take 10 minutes to walk through wow so when you walk from one set and like changing my hair and the earring and the wardrobe is just the least of it. And then all of a sudden I'm on set as we were speaking about earlier, coincidentally with Will Smith and Randy Crane. <laughs> 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 Bill Pullman and Margaret Collins and 
I mean, it, it's 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 Mary McDonald, who was also the mother in you know Donnie Darko, who I had the pleasure of working with twice. So it just really has this incredible cast of Fox and Prince. I mean, I could go on James Redhorn right. and Robert Loggia, God rest their souls. And it's just really, it was really, I mean, nowhere was fun too. They were both fun, but they were so different that it was easy to differentiate. I never had a problem mixing or confusing the characters or the films or the genres of what I was doing in the least, which in turn, 30 years later, so when I walk onto those sets last August and I do three movies at one time, right. not a problem. Because <laughs> they're all, I know how to, dip, for me, it's second did you know that um, uh, Independence Day was going to be as big as it turned out to be? I mean, I you know. I didn't know it was going to be that massive. But honestly, when I read that script, I was like, "Rolling, this movie's going to be." Do you know this movie's going to be huge? This is incredible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it did it did jump off the page to me. I mean, I had no idea it was going to be the biggest movie, but I I was sure that it was going to be a hit. I'm sure of it. It was just it read. It was so, it's like, if you remember the first time watching it and you enjoyed the movie, it was very much similar experience reading it for the first time. Because you don't know what it is. You right. read it and you're like, my God, this is incredible. <laughs> and what makes the movie even better is, you know, there was a lot of ad-libbing. There was a lot of freedom given by Roland and Dean to the actors. Because Dean used to be an actor, believe it or not. Hmm. You know, he was in TV series with, with uh, Richard Chamberlain. And his father was a big Hollywood producer. Um, did the bodyguard amongst many many other movies so dean was an incredible actor and knows acting you know inside out right so i remember you know you, the script is certainly not have I'll, I'll give you an example and this is what makes will a great actor you know for getting the politics aside you know this is just right. about the craft right now and the scene just says will smith's plane he ejects out of it lands on the sand have the sides somewhere in a box literally written down there's no dialogue in it, it just says like scene bottle number 200 whatever 165 exterior desert you know he lands from the parachute and he just walks over and just says he walks through the desert walks to the ship that's the next scene exterior outside of the ship he punches the alien out there's no dialogue written and I, this is my fourth movie or fifth movie right and i go to roland and dina and i go to will and i go to judd hirsch and i go to randy quaid and i go to bill Pullman, and i go to everyone i'm a young actor and i want to learn everything that i can and i, I want to is it okay if i watch and get any advice you know and i'm and they, so they, everyone was very very gracious and welcoming to me about that kind of stuff and they all were, were gave me great advice but they also did things like i didn't Invite. I wasn't. I was on set, but I wasn't filming at that moment. And Dean told me to come to set, and this is out in the middle of the desert in Utah in the Bonneville Salt Flats. He goes, Jimmy, you said you want to learn about acting. Watch this. And he hands me the sides. Like I said, it just says he walks across the desert to the ship. And then they drop Will's stunt double from the parachute, like 12 feet or whatever. And then they cut, and then they have Will start walking. Will starts walking and then he starts like hopping and puffing and then he starts just like, Look at you, ship all banged up. Oh, oh, you're not a barbecue today. So I'm like going, Oh my god, he's freaking genius. My wife, he's genius. Like he's a freak, you know. I mean, where did that come from? It's brilliant. Wow. And then he walks up to the ship and he's like, Oh, what's with that smell? That And he goes, welcome to Earth. Yeah. That's all Will. That's all Will. That's awesome. 
<laughs> but uh, my favorite actors are the actors in that I've learned at the time because I came from Gregor Rocky movies you could not ad lib or improv so that's where I started to learn to ad, ad lib and improv was from them for the best hmm. Interesting. so even when I got to Gone in 60 Seconds Shy McBride who was my partner in the Car Thief movie yeah. very much the same way we have this scene where still in the cars at the Hollywood park and it's a setup and I just call him up and then the scene he doesn't have any dialogue it's just a voiceover of me going walk away it's a setup walk away it's a setup so you just have me standing off set going walk away it's a setup he's just supposed to look around put the laser cut key back in his pocket and starts to walk away but not shy (laughs) (laughs) so they go action like walk away it's a setup and he goes and he looks down he goes wait my wife and he because he has the phone, he goes, "What? My wife's pregnant? Wait, what? what? Is my car?" <laughs> I remember that. I I actually I actually just watched that movie the other night. It's the same thing he does it all through. Like you need a role model. Like oh, yeah. just, you made that up. Like and that's being in the moment, you know. So there's things that you learn. You can learn certainly learn that in acting class too. Yeah. But you know, I find no better school and then the experience of doing it you know being on set while these guys it's 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 pure fire i love it <laughs> these guys are pure fire and my so, with my experiences with them so do you do you get recognized for those roles i mean like people like oh i remember gone in 60 yeah occasionally occasionally and, and people you know i think almost everybody's really respectful because i'm not at this sort of like Oh, he's so famous on attainable level, you know, right, like not yeah. seen as so otherworldly or no, yeah, I, I, it's sort of nice, you know, to be recognized. People see me as on the same level of, as them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I do get this kind of uncomfortable because we all are. So it becomes, a, you know, you see it in social media too, like this sort of elitism. It's always existed throughout history, but right. as an actor, and certainly what I like to consider this artist to some degree, I've been, you know, I've been fighting against that my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I just don't understand elitism. You know, it's like this is one world, that one world. That's it. Yeah, I mean, some, I guess uh, some of it is self-preservation because you know when you reach a certain level, people are you know always want a part of you or you know they want to be part of the you know what you're doing and that sort of thing so some of it is like you know you got to distance yourself from that i guess because yeah you know and and, and it's important you know but i think you know people distance themselves too much then they become disconnected to everything too as well so it's this delicate balance right i think it's much easier for me to navigate because i'm not this huge famous person but Certainly, you know, at times, you know, people I do get recognized from time to time, and it's and it's always something different. You know, it isn't always the same movie. You know, it's it's always flattered to be recognized for Donnie Darko, considering I wear a mask the whole time. You really only see my face twice. Yeah. You know, when I take off, I guess three times. When I take the mask off in the theater, and I'm missing an eye. When I have both eyes, when I run over Gretchen and he shoots me in the eye, and then at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> when I go, you know, that takes place during the flashback of 28 days after Donnie goes back to his room and lets a jet engine crash on him. And we go back to 28 days and you see where everybody was at that moment. You see my character with both eyes again. Hmm. But that's that's a movie I, I surprisingly get recognized for quite a bit. Independence Day is another one. Yeah. Um, occasionally Doom Generation. Nowhere. 
mm-hmm. depending. I guess it, it all depends on, you know, I shouldn't even say it, it depends on the crowd or, you know, because I get it from all different ages. Right. Like surprised that some of these people know the movie just as well from, you know, like someone much older might, you're, you know, might know Doom Generation, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> and then someone really young might know Donnie Darko. That's also like, well, you're a little young to know that movie, aren't you? <laughs> Most adults are still struggling with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have tales from uh, the other side, which uh, I think just released this month. So, um, it, this seems like an interesting plot. I read um, a bit about it. And um, so Halloween, was that a big holiday for you? Like growing up, did you trick or treat? Um, I, I did. It's, it's still, I mean, I don't know what it is about Sam Sawain or Halloween or um, Sam Hain, as some people pronounce it, but I've I've always kind of been taking as a little kid, even I think this beyond not even thinking about being an actor, but just pretending to be these other kind of otherworldly characters, monsters, or I went one year as John McEnroe. (laughs) 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 Did you grow your candy? (laughs) Yeah, I think it was in third grade, but I was like, look at that guy scream and yell. It's incredible. (laughs) I'm not just a tennis player. I'm John McEnroe. Uh, That's hilarious. And look, I look nothing like him. <laughs> but I, I loved, you know, or Luke Skywalker. I went out as one year. I, I loved just recently, a couple of years back, when I was the crow. Mm. I still love it. I still love it. It's like I think there's something about Halloween, and 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 to some larger degree, what's become a huge subculture, become pop culture. Actually, is though I don't do. I mean, I kind of do it for a living. Really, is cosplay. Right, yeah. I love seeing all this stuff that people do. I mean, honestly, when I was a little boy and I couldn't afford that stuff and you didn't have it, I'd have a jump rope for Indiana Jones bullwhip. Right. And I had this plastic cowboy hat that I used as his hat. Then I had one of my mom's old purses as a side saddlebag. And I didn't have the gold <laughs> idol, but she had this golden cat. I used to put it on the roof and pretend like I was climbing through the Mayan cave to go get that <laughs> fertility <laughs> idol that if you really think about those movies, you're like, oh my God, Indiana Jones is a grave robber. Look at that. <laughs> hmm. But, you know, it's reenacting all that stuff and the imagination that, it, you know, that it, it, it activated it's in, in other things that it inspired and so to really kind of choose it as a job you know because that's kind of why i also became an actor i love playing pretend i mean there's no other simple way to put it and every time i go to conventions you know and i've been going to them as a fan for many many years is i i they never cease to amaze me these outfits and the imagination that's put into someone who can make a transforming transformer car to a human robot stand up to uh nine foot tall krampus characters with all these side effects but sound effects coming out of it because there's speakers on the or hunchback and i mean it's some crazy amazing stuff yeah, yeah for sure <laughs> and that's that's exactly what i loved about halloween well so in that in the plot these um kids go to be scared like um and then uh the lady of 
Peter, the, I guess, scary Mary lady. Um, <laughs> you know, she just overdoes. I guess she's really good at telling these stories that are scary. Um, do, do you find that people really enjoy um, being scared? I th- I do. I think, again, there's something else not that's bigger, a little bit bigger than cosplay, and that's Growing up in the 70s and 80s and watching Halloween and watching the original Friday the 13th and The Fog and Escape from, those were cult movies. Those were like, oh, you're one of those people. <laughs> and now that's become mainstream award-winning genre that is as big as anything else. And to me, that's incredible because I grew up loving, like I said, I loved that when I was a kid. I love it now. I especially love these anthology movies. Um Tales from the Other Side. You know, I had done one a few years back, Tales from Hallow- Tales of Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another one that I just love watching it over and over, one of the more recent, newer, you know, Halloween compilations, Trick or Treat, um, from back in the day. But I, I, I'm, I'm a big sucker for these anthology films. And, and to be quite honest, I didn't know I was going to be part of one. When I shot my piece, which is called Either Or for... Um, uh, Last summer for my friends, I, you know, they had this really, what I thought was this really crazy, cool, interesting script. Kind of reminded me of like old, the old Twilight Zones, mm. which I've always been a big fan of the original Twilight Zones. You know, the Rod Serling Twilight Zones. Right. And it, and, and very much in the same way, Donnie Darko reminded me of that too. So when I first read that script, I'm like, wow, this is cool. It's like a modern day Twilight Zone, but in a movie. And I think it works. <laughs> <laughs> So when I read either or I, you know, and the idea that, you know, this, my character is also is insane or is he insane is or the rest of the, is it everybody else that's insane? <clears throat> I was really rather quite taken by that. Um, so then I kind of just dove into the material without really thinking much about it. Um, and had an, inc- I gotta say, I actually had a really, really incredible sp- experience you know, um, especially working with Kern Saxon, who I'd worked with before on, you know, Sushi Girl and Lucas Hayne, who had done Mope, which I think is absolutely brilliant. And if you haven't seen it, go check that out. And same for Sushi Girl. Um, I'm very proud of those movies. But, you know, I went and shot this. And I, since I just went from this job to the other job, you know, like I was saying, I had those three jobs in August. And then I got a call about a month ago or a couple of emails like, oh, you know, we have some press feed for Tales from the Other Side. And I'm, I'm stopping thinking. I'm like, okay, I've done or I did filthy, <laughs> I did the first circle. Okay, I know I've done Amityville Karen, which we're making fun of Karen. And I couldn't think of, yeah, it's like a horror about Karen. <laughs> I couldn't, so I remember the most ridiculous things I remember. I couldn't remember, like, am I going crazy? I don't remember making something called Tales on the other side. And then I, I remember I texted the director. I just somehow hit me either or either or I wonder. So I texted him and I go, is either or part of like an anthology movie? Are we doing press for this? Cause I had no clue. I didn't even know that it was part of something. <laughs> and he's like, Oh yeah, 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 it is. It is. I'm like, Oh, okay. So it was, it was really, <laughs> as you can hear the, it was an adventure unfolding for me. Cause then it was like, because I'm a fan of this stuff. I was like, all right, this got a whole lot cooler. Because hmm. I just was, thought we were shooting this cool experimental piece and given it everything because I actually really do love the piece, you know. And I think, you know, my, my co-stars, especially Tanya, is just incredible. 
she, she plays the doctor opposite me. She's incredible. So it's it's when you hear that it becomes a part of something, this is kind of referring back to what I was saying later. You do it and then you kind of let it go. Yeah. This has been a it's been a big joy for me. And again, why I'm really happy to be sitting here talking to you too about this, you know, Matt and Kat. It's just like for me, this is the icing on the Sunday because it was like, oh wow, okay it came out and people liked it okay awesome or at least i think he liked it right (laughs) (laughs) so what's next for you um i'm finishing this uh movie called the first circle um it's sort of uh based on dante's inferno being trapped in hell where all Mm -hmm. of our characters are trapped in hell but they don't quite know it um it's with chris browning who plays my older half brother natasha henstrich uh, we shot, we already filmed Michael Madsen's piece because we we got put off a few times for the for the Omicron wave and the IOTC strike, um, so we're just about finished. We're gonna finish stuff with Mike Starr, um, but that that's one film called The First Circle, which I'm very very excited about. That's coming soon, and then I did this film called Filthy when I had done this piece in Las Vegas, and it's basically a movie about it's a comedy, <laughs> but it's a movie about a guy who's been directing pornography for. 16 years and he doesn't want to do it anymore he wants to make a legit movie and it's all these things that kind of get him out of it and into making legitimate films <laughs> 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 and it's it, I, it's just I you know again it's something completely different for me but I, when I read it and I ended up making it I was, it's I think it's going to be uh, one of those like comedy romps that is outrageous and super super funny That that's the hope you know, at the same degree, it may not work, and the sooner I forget about it, the better. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. I, I have high hopes for it. I think, you know, the, he, the director, the director's a friend of another really good filmmaker, friend of mine who went to film school. Very, very talented. And then, of course, the three movies I, I bought up earlier that are now available on streaming, uh, people would be interested. There's I Challenger, uh, who also has Margaret Cho and Jerry Bettenov as well. And mm-hmm. of course my co-star who's a brilliant Coy Stewart and Tina Majorino, who's another fantastic actress. Um, I also have Without Ward that's out on streaming. I'm starring Michael Gladys, Alexis Dezenia, and Martin Landau. Um, and The Runner with Boy Harsher as well. And, and I think the most important one, I think, in it, and not to be a bit biased, but the star of the day is Tales from the Other Side. <laughs> yes. Um, so we definitely want people to check all of those out. And, um, and so we have ended our podcast. Um, we started at the end of last season with. Oh, wait. Uh, I, I have one, one question okay, before yes, we get to that. Uh, right. So do you, I mean, we've found that there's, you know, most of the people that we've talked to who are into acting and musicians and things, um, they have a certain person that they've always wanted to meet, but have never been able to do that. Um, is there someone like that for you? Someone like, I mean, I guess there's, there's always been people that I, that I admire that I want to meet, but if I was, I would be quite honest, it there was a band called the Jazz Butcher when I was growing up that I was really enamored more than anything. Mm-hmm. And um, I used to bug all the filmmakers, Greg Rocky, Roland Emmerich, oh, Jazz Butcher, Jazz Butcher. So when Independence Day came out, Roland Emmerich had told me, why don't you just invite him to the premiere? 
So I invited him to, and, and the band just broke up the year before. Right. He'd been around since the 80s, broke up in 95. I'd written him a letter, which apparently I didn't find out till later, until we became friends, extremely offended him. So he <laughs> wanted to punch me in the mouth if he ever met me. <laughs> so I invited him to the premiere of Independence. You know, I was 19. It was a very naive letter I wrote. You know, it just came across bad, and I'm so glad I didn't find it. I found this out posthumously, by the way, because he just passed away. Right. But basically, he showed up to the premiere with his girlfriend, Turns out that he was reuniting, reuniting the band to play in Mallorca. We became friends at that night and ended up hanging out and saw Patti Smith together Wow! Uh, while I was in London. Then went to go see him in Mallorca, Spain. And then from that moment became, actually became friends with Catfish, with the jazz, which and my favorite guitar player in the world, Max Eider and their drummer, Owen Jones. And then I became really good friends with David J and Kevin Haskins uh, from Bauhaus who also played in jazz butcher and mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. So way back when I got to meet the people that I've always wanted to meet and it's interesting that you asked, you know, cause Pat just passed away. And so it's, it's interesting. It's interesting for it to come full circle because after being in the business for 30 years, after he passed, I had to ask myself, I'm like, wow, this is really kind of interesting. You know, they say don't make friends with your idols. My idol ended up being a really down to earth, incredible guy. But once I lost him, not as an idol, as a friend, I was kind of lost. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to look up to. Or, right. You know, and then it was, but I, you know, I also realized I don't need to look up to anybody or anything. I don't need anything new. I'm okay. That's kind of what he taught me. I got to meet him and become friends with him years so so far ago, long ago that it 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 went beyond this sort of admiration as a fan thing many years ago and developed into something like a real you know tangible friendship. That's so awesome. I, I guess if anything, it's like I feel very lucky that I have that. Uh -huh. uh, there's certainly actors I would like to meet. I don't know if I admired him the way you know. There's I don't think there's anybody I admired the way I admired Pat Fish, the Jazz Butcher. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's certainly you know a collection of artists, actors, and musicians, I would still very much, very much be interested in meeting. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so, we, as the Captain... Gulps, the Gulps, the Spanish-British punk rock band, the Gulps. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so... Because we're stuck in the city, stuck in the city. Uh, or Arcade Fire. My God, I'd love to meet Arcade Fire. I love them. Oh, yeah. I'm... Their new album, Wii, is just... Hmm. Interesting. Uh, so we are getting to... Uh, we're up to like an hour and 15 minutes and, you know... We... Sorry, yeah, sorry about that. No, it, it's to. fine. <laughs> I mean, we don't mind talking at all. Um, so... One thing we've done over the last, I think we started it last season, was um, uh, we have a question. Each of us thought of a question, and uh, you get to choose the person who whose question you want to answer, um, but we're not going to tell you what the question is to begin with. Okay. So, uh, if you'd like to make a choice, uh, we will... And it's not related to anything that we've talked about, or probably not related to acting or anything like that at all. So, so is it Kat's question or Matt's question? Um, I'm going Matt over that question. really quick right now. Hold on, it's uh, 
cat, not me, me, my, mo, catch a tiger, bite a cat. All right. Oh, I don't know. Sorry about that. It was you guys. It was totally fair, I think. When's the last time you heard that, by the way? Not recently. I don't think I've said that in years. I think it's a first for the podcast, yeah. We're bringing it back. Bring it back. Bringing any mini mini mo back. <laughs> okay, so um, my question is, if you could relive any 60 seconds of your life every day for the rest of your life, um, what 60 seconds would you choose? Well, I guess, you know, I mean, not to be like completely like mushy about it, but my pup passed away last year. Aww. So if I could relive any 60 seconds, it would be any 60 seconds I could get with her from before that happens. And I, if I could have that every day, well, you know, be beginning of the morning and the kisses in the face. I could get that every day for the rest. I mean, I, I'm going to rescue and get another one and I'll have that. But yeah, she was special to me. She was special to me. Her name was Cadeau, which is French for gift because she was a little gift. And it was so incredible to miss her while I was filming and to be out of town when I was filming. And it's like, I got to get back. I got to get home. I'm like, why? I'm going to get back to my dog, my little girl. <laughs> and, uh, so that yeah. would really be a, a very great thing. Um, if you could just have that 60 seconds every day, that would be very cool. That's a really beautiful answer, I think. Yeah, she will, you know, I don't want to sound mushy or cheesy or anything, you know, but I've been saying this why, you know, part of the reason I love her so much is I'm, I'm a kinder, gentler, more patient, more tolerant, loving human being, loving living creature because of her. And that you can't buy in a store. You can't. I, I, it's something that she just gave me somehow. <laughs> And I wouldn't trade that for the world. Yeah. Yeah. She's a good, everything was a gift with her. Well, uh, I'm glad you chose my question because that's a great answer. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I'm very curious to hear Max now. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Sorry. All right. So uh, mine's a lot easier than that. Um, (laughs) Not as beautiful. No, no, probably not. So (laughs) I um, mean to be mushy. I don't mind, but (laughs) (laughs) so my my question is, um, you know, you played a lot of roles, a lot of you know, a lot of different characters and stuff. But if you could go back and be in like any movie doesn't matter if it's yours, somebody else's, or whatever, and play a certain role, what would that be? Wow. Well, I can certainly say if I had a chance to play it, I don't think I could ever do it as good as Jeff Bridges did it, but it would be his character in Starman. Okay, that's a good one. I remember going to watch John Carpenter's Starman, and all I'd ever seen from John Carpenter, you know, was Halloween and the fog. Right, yeah. Escape from New York and Starman was just something so different. Yeah. And Jeff Bridges just, wow. And there's just something about that performance that's always captivated me. Because I saw, I remember seeing it in the theater 
My father took me to see it. So my father would always take me to the movie theaters at least once or twice a week. And of course, since we were all, you know, cinephiles as kids, we would just get on our bikes. Back then, you could get on your bike in 1982, right up in sixth grade. Like, I remember going to watch Red Dawn. We're like, we're going to watch Red Dawn again. <laughs> the same thing with, I saw Goonies four times in the theater. So even younger. So this is what it was like when I was growing up as a kid in the late 70s, early 80s. Right. Mom, I'm going to go watch The Empire Strikes Back. I mean, they took me to see it the first time, but I wanted to see it again in the theater. I was eight, not even eight, I was seven. Mom, I want to go see. So she would drop me off at the Torrance Delamo Mall theater. Mm-hmm. I'd get like a dime, you know, and then a couple of days, it was only two fifty to go see a movie for a kid. Right. I'd pay for a kid movie. It's Empire Strikes Back, so I don't need an adult. I'd go watch Empire Strikes Back or whatever movie it was. I'd come out. The payphones are inside the theater. Call my mom. Mom, movie's over. Can you come pick me up? Walk outside, 10, 15 minutes later, she's there, pulls up, get in the car. You could go watch. I used to be able to watch movies as an eight, seven, eight-year-old by myself. It was amazing. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Now you know, it'd be so, like, are you lost? Do you need help? <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, you shouldn't be in here. Cause yeah. I mean, you're in here for Dawn of the Dead. You can't be in here. Right. <laughs> 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 But it was, you know, it was, it was a really, it was a really fun generation because back then, you, you know, not that I'm encouraging unlawful behavior, but it was great to, you know, we would not go to school <laughs> as a junior <laughs> and go to the movie theaters because my friend's sister worked there and she would let us in at like 11 in the morning and we was just watching movies until like four or five awesome. and just go from theater to theater. Okay. Remember, I'd watch La Bamba, Phantasm, and what else? I watched all in the same day. Like, what a sweet <laughs> to watch. Yeah. There was Phantasm 2 in La Bamba. And there was one other one that I didn't like it, some romantic mushy one. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, 217, not for me. Not yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Kat. Or, you know, or, or I guess I take it back. Or, or, or. I would have loved to have been Luke Skywalker in The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. yeah. Look, I can get the lightsaber with the force. <laughs> Look, I just lost that hand that got the lightsaber with the force. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of those people that sat in the theater and was like, kill Vader. He's like, no, I am your father. And like, Luke's all, no. I was sitting in the theater like, no, that's impossible. <laughs> I was saying the same thing to myself. Like, so you want to, you try, that was like, that was earth shattering. <laughs> bad. Wait, what? Yeah. That was, for me, that was earth shattering. Still, I, now that I'm telling you guys, it's earth shattering. <laughs> You've become so desensitized to that film. It's not right. Yeah. It yeah. <laughs> carries some serious weight right there. Right. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Certainly uh, quite a twist in the old, uh, in, the, in the whole thing, the storyline. Um, yeah. All right, Kat, uh, you got one more question or? Uh, I just want to say, you know, what a pleasure it's been to have you as a guest today. Um, it's incredible backstory and backstories to the stories. Um, so it's just, um, it's been an honor. And I hope that we'll have you back as a guest in the future. Oh, I would love that. And I'm honored as well. Thank you both for having me so much. Oh, yeah, it's certainly been uh an interesting time talking to you and uh you know you're welcome back anytime we'll uh you know we'll make time for you and uh you know we'd love to talk to you again 
Um, oh, I'd love that very much. I'm always available anytime, even if there's not an interview. All right. Awesome. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Honestly. All right, Kat, put that down in the notes. <laughs> I definitely And I mean that. I mean that with all my heart. All right. Well, we really appreciate that. Thank you, Thank you man. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can send those to Kat at myrightplays at outlook.com or you can write to me at backstorysessions at gmail.com or matt at level11ventures.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.